electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. We have the big aluminum companies in the United States, and they've been very unfairly treated by bad policy, by bad trade deals, by other countries. They've been horribly treated by other countries, and they have not been properly represented. So we're going to build our steel industry back, and we're going to build our aluminum industry back. All right, those were the words that took down the market today. The Dow sinking more than 400 points. At one point, it was down nearly 600 at the lows. The Dow now negative on the year. The S&P and Nasdaq also closed lower by more than 1%. The president's word put the fear in investors' hearts that a trade war could be coming. Maybe it's already here. And it all comes amid turmoil within the administration itself. Has President Trump gone from being the market's best friend to its biggest risk? You know, it's interesting. It's easy to blame the president for this. And I'm not an apologist, either way. I'm not going to play politics. But he's doing everything he said he was going to do 18 months ago. So if you're surprised by this, you've been living under some rock somewhere. So I don't think it's entirely his fault. And this started a week and a half, two weeks ago, by the way. I think it's got a lot to do with the Fed, a lot to do with the market that's probably gotten themselves off sides in terms of volatility, and a lot to do with the emerging markets and markets overseas that are sort of turning over to the wrong side. So, yeah, it's easy to blame him. Trade wars, I get it. That added fuel to the fire, but this was going on long before he opened his mouth today. If you give him the credit, Dan, when the market goes straight up, then yeah. maybe he gets some of the blame when the market goes down, particularly as a, po as a policy comes out, uh, at least an announcement of an expected policy change. Um, that's controversial. Yeah, I think let, let's just talk about this last few months on the way up, up until late January. You know, if that was a referendum on the president's, um, you know, if that was a report card, as they were calling it, well, then it looked pretty shiny, right, on January 26th. But at the end of the day, that was obviously a lot of that had to do with uh, their tax plan that was put in place in late, late December. So when you think about tariffs, they're actually going to counterbalance a lot of the potential benefits for U.S. corporations that were actually getting the lion's share of that tax cut. So to me, it has the potential to cancel each other out. And so we're not going to know the effects of any tariffs anytime soon. But the trade war is the bigger issue. What does it mean for companies like Apple that use Chinese contract manufacturers to make, you know, 200 million iPhones a year if we are going to get in that? It could really compress well, margins for companies it, like that if they have to move to, to other Locale to make them. It, it means a lot. And if you think about the market right now, I mean, there's a lot of other dynamics here that I think are also imposed by, by Washington, even though behind all this is a lot of great news on a, on a corporate tax cut, et cetera. But as we've said, one of the other dynamics that's giving the market agita is that there's too much going on in terms of economic stimulus at a time when the market was getting going on its own. And now you've layered this on top. If you look at the bond market, the absurdity right now is we were concerned about too much growth, and now we're concerned about too much growth causing a reaction to too much growth, and actually bonds, if you look at the yield curve, it's starting to flatten. So, yes, Washington right now can't get out of its own way, even though, ultimately, we've been set up for corporate profits in this, in this country that are going to be 
extraordinary in 2018. They better be, because these guys are going at effective tax rates in the low 20 Jay Powell today on the Hill for his second day, this time in front of the Senate, got off on a bit of a different foot, uh, sounded a little more dovish on, on inflation right. and the fact of, of where wages may be going. Is, is the biggest issue that the market has to deal with today, Karen, what's coming out of Washington, the White House, what some people describe as chaos. You have people leaving. Uh, now new reports of, of maybe General McMaster leaving. I don't think that's what it is. I mean, this is an administration that has been in chaos since the very first week. Remember, they issued that immigration ban out of nowhere in a very chaotic way. And ever since then, it's been the same MO the entire time. So I think, you know, yesterday, a little bit of the sell-off at the end of the day, I think, was Hope Hicks. But by this morning, I think that wasn't relevant. But there was even Lagarde Cashin on the floor today was talking about, it's my word, not his, the sort of haphazard nature at which this whole thing happened today. Yes, there's going to be an announcement. That, there's no announcement. There's I a meeting. Agree. There's no this meeting. To me, this to me, I don't agree with, with Guy on that, you could, that this wasn't the cause. This was the cause. Powell had no, it, it, that was irrelevant by the time this came out of Trump's the mouth. Were rallying Wait, when Powell started right, talking. So, about. so this is absolutely to blame. I think, though, I'm not sure that what he said will actually translate into actual policy. Remember, going back to the border adjustment tax, a very similar kind of tax as this, right, taxing imports, that was quickly blown up. That, was, that would have been a disaster for the consumer. And I think you're seeing this, that kind of response to this. So I would be surprised if this policy that he put forth today actually ends so up you're, being what comes you're out suggesting, of it. So you're suggesting what some others have suggested, too, as to whether today was a trial balloon that got popped by Mr. and Mrs. Market and some within the president's own party. Well, Larry Kudlow is one of the staunchest supporters of the president. He came out steadfast against what was said today. And I'm, I'm with, maybe I've misspoke, but obviously today's sell-off had everything to do with those comments. But this isn't selling off at the all-time highs. This is selling off after two and a half three weeks of market turbulence that we've seen. So the seeds have been sown, I think, for this move. The president's comments uh, sort of added fuel to that fire. That's the, that's the important thing, because if the market wasn't doing what it's doing, we would not have had this reaction. And let's be clear about this. Monday night, we're playing Everything is Wonderful, Sarah and Tegan. Guy, that's your favorite band, right? Is that? Everything is No, great. you know who my favorite awesome. band is? Steve Leesman's is my, the, the band he plays in. Friday night. That's my favorite Friday band. Friday night at BB King's, by the way, our, our man is going to be playing. But, but, but bottom line is we have a dynamic here where if you, if you didn't know better on Monday night and you heard this news Tuesday morning, market's not down 130 bips. All right? Look, it's just not. We're, and, we're, and, a, we're a net importer of, of steel. We are, we're a, a net user rather than a producer of some of these things. Steel That's why autos, but I'm saying, throw up the autos, throw up the industrials. The areas that got hardest hit are the ones that are speaking out tonight in large part against the policy. Do you need to rethink some of the sectors you would invest in tonight? Well, I, I think if you look at autos and if you look at steel, like I own U.S. Steel because, not because I was expecting, you know, Article 232 to get employed and that I was going to see these tariffs. I was, I was betting on U.S. Steel because 800 bucks a ton in hot rolled steel is actually very profitable. It's a free cash flow story. It's specialty steel products that these guys are very good in at a time when the economy is growing. And yeah, we might get infrastructure. Either way, if you look at auto production and if you look at the places that the steel companies make their money, things are very, very strong right now. You did not need this at a time that the market is overall uh, got a lot of it. It's like you cut the corporate rate from 35 to 21, Dan, then you're giving them yeah. another so, uh, boost with, with tariffs on, on top of it. Right. And so I just 
want to make one point. I brought up Apple before. I mean, literally, when you think about their ability to repatriate almost $200 billion at 10.5% or something like that, and then when you think about having a corporate tax rate of 21% from here on out, I mean, whatever adverse effect that they may have in a trade war would not be significant for some time to come. And then, you know, so to me, I, I think a lot of this gets netted out. You're talking about the autos. GM was down almost 5%. Mm -hmm. um, Phil LeBeau had the executive from GM who sources the steel. He said, we source 90% of our steel from here in America. You know what I mean? So why is the stock down 5%? So this could pre present some near-term opportunities for a stock like GM that's, what, down 20%? Yeah, and by the way, higher steel highs. prices, which, which we have and which we might get, are going to hurt the auto companies. I mean, these are price inputs. Well, so, that's why you know, precisely mean, the stocks are down. Right. But maybe to Karen's point, maybe these are buying opportunities because maybe this isn't going to happen to the magnitude at which we think it will. A lot can happen between this week and next when the president said he's going to make this announcement. A lot can happen between, between now, now and, and the end of the show. Exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. But I do think this is one he's going to stick to for, I think, quite some time. This is something he talked about when he was campaigning for president. For him to walk away from it after a poor market reaction, in my opinion, would be bad form. All right. So for more on what the trade war means for the economy and possibly the Fed, let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. Um, okay. So these guys made the point. It's like you, you, you give the economy um, a case of Red Bull. Do you need a Mountain Dew on top of that, too? I, no, I mean I think I think this is not this is the opposite of Red Bull. This is like uh, you know I don't want to call it. you know Dead I'm going to say it. It's like a laxative is what it is. If you really want to know, look, I'm hearing three words. Okay, you give, Scott. you give companies. I should have said I'm, it better. I'm hearing oh. three words about this thing. Technical terms from economists: bad, stupid, and dangerous. This is seen as one of the worst possible policies that any president could ever enact. And I have a chart, Scott, to show you how stupid the market thinks this is. Okay. I want to show you the market cap gain in steel stocks today. Okay, there's Ooh. the loss. Three, there's the loss. Three twenty-eight, a two point three billion up in steel stocks, three hundred twenty-eight billion down in the S and P. That is a metaphor for the whole policy. A very small group of companies will benefit at the expense of all the other companies and workers around the country. And one economist even says this is a clear and present danger to what is now the third and route to the second longest expansion. And if you think about this, Scott, economics doesn't know much for sure. But we have known for 300 years that free trade is good for an economy and that protectionism is bad for an economy. This is the equivalent, and I hate to use another bad metaphor here. Let's, of you're, on back, you're on a roll. If this were medically going back to leaching and bleeding as a way to solve, we figured out that's wrong, it doesn't help. This is the same thing. Yeah, we've got laxatives and, and leaching. Okay, just the so leaching part. I should. I got to rethink things. <laughs> yeah. The administration coming in. Okay, one of the risks that was thrown about, and, and we all discussed it, and guests who came on discussed it too, was whether we were going to have a protectionist president. The tr this people say, okay, are we going to have a trade war? The first shots of a trade war have already been shot with the washing machine thing. This is a bazooka being brought to the trade war. You want to start going there on steel. I don't How much of a risk I don't is that? I disagree with anything anybody's saying. But once again... Guy, before you answer, can I just tell you that Canada is already saying they will have retaliatory measures. I just got the email from the statement from Canada. Well, of course they are. Of course they will. Okay. And what does this do to the... Let's know, have a good they're, the, they're the number one now. exporter into our country. Into our, um, listen, I don't... What if China retaliates by, by not buying our treasuries in the magnitude of which they, which they do? 
I don't think they can do that. that. I don't think they can do that. What if they do it in other ways? Well, uh, okay. But, I mean, we've talked about China buying our treasuries before and how this was going to back up the treasury market. They're not in a position to to change that overnight. But, but, but uh, by the way, I think targeting China on this is is absurd because they're not even in the top ten exporters into our country in steel. And if you think about it, and if you think it's, it's our neighbors around us, it's Brazil. I mean, these are places that, if anything, I think bilaterally there's ways to get around this without some blanket. You know, you can go after the subsectors and not have to make this blanket statement. It's I, I, I think it's it's really worth um, taking Karen's point um, to heart, and that we don't truly know if this is is going to be the policy in place next week. Our boss Nick Diogan thinks 500 more points on the Dow will get rid of it. That's his thing, and, and it may be. We know that the president is very sensitive to stocks. You know, we know he sees the market and the gains in the market as a major part of his accomplishments out there. But Steve, why do it in the way that he did? He went out and he was very explicit about it. I mean, you know, it's more than a trial balloon. And so, I have, you know, I, think, I, have a, I have an answer. Yeah. I'll tell you the answer. I'd love to I hear think. It. What did he do yesterday? He announced his candidacy for uh, uh, the 2020 election earlier than any other president in history. This is about securing. Republican strongholds in states that were previously Democratic. This is about getting the Rust Belt firmly into the Republican column. I think it's purely politics. What's amazing is the huge number of people from his party, Henserling, already, Ryan, Ryan, Hatch, Cudlow, Larry Cudlow. I mean, Larry has a line into the president and was as uh, boisterous right. as you could ever hear, Larry, Did you read the against the policy of the president on our air today. The business roundtable picked up the tax cuts, put it over its shoulder, and dragged it across the finish line for the president. And they came out with one of the strongest anti-Trump statements I have seen yet, or anti-presidential policy statements I've seen yet. Yeah. Steve, thanks. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. And a, and a member of a band. We were just yeah. Stella Blues band. Let's Stella call it what it is. A Bob and Phil after show at B.B. King's. And, and I don't like the tariff thing. Did I? Do, is that clear? <laughs> that pretty clear. Okay. Yeah, we got that. Well, right. Steve, thanks. thanks. Bob and Phil. <laughs> he had uh-huh. one already. Uh, okay, Bobby. so market's down, what, you know, 500-some-odd points today? Who bought what? Anybody? I, just so you know, I, on, on the show the other day, I, I actually saw, we were talking about some of the retailers Crickets? that had gotten hit. Walmart, uh, I, I actually got stopped out at 90. Some of these things are actually going further than I thought they would. I actually took a shot on the short side on the IWM. We talked about the relative underperformance of the other indices. I think it has a potential to actually catch up to the weakness in the Dow, too. So really? So you, oh, let me just come back on that. So yeah. you don't think that uh, small caps get the benefit of some of the pain of these bigger companies because of a trade no, they war? get choked by growth. I mean, small caps have underperformed, Scott. And if you think about what's going on over the, over the last couple of weeks, as the market's been pulling back, strangely Where was the enough, Russell today, been... though, relative to the rest of the market? Russell, Russell was, was down, was down, down 50 30 bets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So, so, so to me, right, I think it's going to play. I agree with exactly what Tim said. I right? think it's Let's call play the Russell. Up. I mean, that, that's not much that's, of a loss compared to a 420-point drop on the Dow. Everything we just said here tonight um, means that this is a, a growth-negative policy, and small caps, which have been the greatest beneficiary of this growth concept, have outperformed to uh, until the last couple of weeks when we've been challenging growth. And it gets back to me where this isn't just about trade tariffs, folks. This is about four or five dynamics that the market is now paying attention to because it makes sense to pay attention to it because when other things are going on, it's about rates. It's about the Fed. It's about insanity in Washington. It's about indictments. It's about trade policy. It's about the uh, dollar. It's about, and it's about valuations. Yeah. So you're getting to a place where suddenly, oh, everything is not so wonderful, and, and, and it means 
things that probably not a lot of people want to put new money into. You, know that you, you add all those things up, and what does that equal? A lot of volatility. But I, here's what I bought today. I, I, I think some of the ag commodities um, continue to go up, and if anything, maybe the trade dynamics help them. But, but names like Mosaic, Monsanto have lagged this commodities rally, but I would continue to be watching a couple of the bellwethers. Watch a Glencore, watch the Aussie dollar. These are things that are very important. All right, coming up. Check out the retail movers after hours. Nordstrom sinking, Gap soaring. We'll tell you what's driving those stocks this evening. Plus, as the trade war between the U.S. and China heats up, Guy Adami has one stock he says is going to be the big winner in all of it. He's here to tell us what it is. Plus, while stocks were tanking, guess what was rallying? Yep, BK's Bitcoin. It is. Is that his? Yeah, it is. Wow. He says there are a couple of key events, too, that could take it even higher. He's here to explain. Welcome back to Fast Money. I have a double dose of retail earnings tonight. Nordstrom and Gap heading in opposite directions following their reports. Kate Rogers back at HQ with more on both. Kate. Hi, Scott. Well, we're going to kick it off with Nordstrom. The retailer missed on earnings but beat on revenues. Their comps were up 2.6%, but they had mixed guidance for 2018, predicting 2018 comps will be up between half a percent and one and a half percent. Now, on the earnings call, they mentioned they wouldn't go they wouldn't go into any comments on reports of the company trying to take itself private. But they did say they would continue to invest in their omni-channel capabilities to reach customers on a broader basis in multiple ways. Take a listen. Customers spend nearly 70% more when shopping us with through multiple touch points. In our Nordstrom business, we made meaningful progress in meeting customers' expectations around speed, convenience, and personalization. We offer a number of ways to serve them on their terms, seamlessly across stores and online. Our services such as buy online, pick up in store, reserve online, and try it in store, and style board grew by more than 30% over last year. Of note here, the stock has been down around 4% in the after-hours trade, but for the year, shares have increased 6.5%. Now we're going to move on to Gap. The stock moving higher by nearly 9%. That's on better sales in the fourth quarter and 2018 outlook. The same store sales for the holiday quarter also beat expectations. They were up 5%. All of their divisions outperformed in 2017 compared to street estimates. Old Navy comps, they were up a whopping 9%. Gap also increased their quarterly dividend by 5%. For the year, though, Gap is down nearly 7%. Scott, back over to you. All right, Kay Rogers, thank you very much. What do we do with these guys? What do we do with these names? Uh, I kind of do nothing with either name. Nordstrom, I think the problem going into it was expectations were high. The outlook was disappointing. And, you know, you have, you have in there not just high expectations for the business, but high expectations for the stock because of the potential takeover. So it's a little more expensive. They do have some debt, not, not a problem in any way. The balance sheet's great, but it's a little more expensive. I think it's okay. Gap, those are, I mean, that's good. It's good to see good signs of a turnaround. The stock's not particularly expensive. It's not crazy cheap either, particularly up 8 or 9% today. That one also kind of do nothing. Is retail back? I mean, Macy's, I, I, Gap, there's some... Pretty good stories to tell here. Well, well, or, I'm it, sorry, Care. Well, the one thing I did in, in today was a Foot Locker one by two call spread for tomorrow earnings. I think expectations what do you are think this is options action? I mean, it's well, I'm doing it early. It's a preview. It's a preview. Oh, okay. It's a preview. Show. Okay, cool. That's <laughs> tomorrow, 530. If you think about uh, the numbers that Macy's put out early in the week and you think about the fourth quarter that, that a lot of these guys have, I mean, the question is, what's in the price? I mean, Nordstrom's up 40% from November 1. Their fourth quarter, by the way, was significantly weaker than a Kohl's. I mean, they're, 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 
same store sales comps were kind of two, two and a half. Kohl's was in the mid sixes. Macy's were better. Um, and I think there's more catalysts in other places. I will say those people that are playing Nordstrom's for a, a, a private takeout, it's the wrong reason to own this company. Haven't they dispelled that a couple of times? I, think I, I don't know. But every time that news comes out, the stock I, gets sold off. I think what Karen off. said about Nordstrom in particular, that you, or you just said it, it was up 40% in the last few months. And at the end of the day, you know, you have a situation where there's a lot of positive uh, expectations built, built into it, especially on a week where you just had Macy's up 15% after their own results. And I just think it's the most important thing you can think about in retail here, two of the biggest ones, uh, Walmart and Lowe's, the fact that they sold off and continue to sell off to the magnitude of which they did over the last week and a half to me tells you all you need to know about retail right now. Okay, still ahead. Despite the sell-off, there is one stock that's soaring 10% today. Guy Adami says this is just the beginning of a major run. Oh, there you are. That guy right there, the one waving. <laughs> He's going to tell you the name. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Nobody move. This is a raid. The government is cracking down on Bitcoin. But to resident crypto expert BK, Uncle Sam is missing something big. He'll explain what that is. Plus, as the market continues to sell off, so-called safety stocks are getting slaughtered. So where do you hide now? The traders will tell you when Fast Money returns. Fast is going west, heading to San Francisco in search of digital gold. We're at the most important blockchain conference in America to talk to the biggest names and investors in Bitcoin, including Chamath Palihapitiya of Social Capital, the CEO of Ripple, and the president of Coinbase for one explosive hour that will rock the crypto universe. That's next Tuesday at 5 p.m. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Tough day for the markets. The major indices slipping back into negative territory for the year. This as a number of the so-called safety stocks were anything but. Bob Pisani down at the New York Stock Exchange tonight with more on that. Hey, Bob. Hello, Scotty. Hey, big and global industrial stocks got hit very hard today on concerns about a possible trade war. That's understandable. Now, you might think that would help more defensive names like the consumer stocks. Well, they weren't down as much, but there was no one out buying them in any big numbers either. Names like Kraft Heinz and Cisco and Hershey and Hormel, they got no lift from this trade scare. Neither did big health care firms like Johnson & Johnson or Abbott or Pfizer, all of which declined nearly 2%. Bond yields decline. You know, typically that would help interest rate sensitive groups, but that really wasn't the case today once again. So real estate investment trust, this is the worst performing sector in the S&P this year, down nearly 10 percent for 2018. Didn't help. Even here, big names like Boston Properties and Avalon Bay, Vernado, they couldn't get into the green. Others like GGP, Equity Residential barely in the green, but the volume was very light in all of the REITs today. This is part of a trend that's been going on all year. Despite the chaos in early February, traders have stuck with cyclical names like technology, consumer discretionary, all year on the global economic expansion story. Now, safety stocks like REITs and telecoms and utilities have been clobbered by rate concerns, obviously, but consumer staples have also been hit separately as the value of consumer brands has declined under assault by Amazon and others. A well-covered story there as well. Companies like Hershey, Kraft, Heinz, Procter & Gamble, they're all down double digits this year and are within a point or two of 52-week lows. Even an old stalwart like Clorox is just about 4% off of its 52-week lows. The bottom line here, guys, hiding out in defensive names has not proven to be a winning strategy in 2018. Back to you, Scott. All right, Bob, thanks so much. I mean, look, when you go down um, 36 S&Ps, 
today. Hard to uh, everything's going to be down for the most part. I, I just think that in the last month, we've had a reassessment of where valuation should be for a lot of companies that got the benefit of lower interest rates. It's not a surprise that consumer staples, by the way, consumer staples, which still are under enormous pressure, say what you want about inflation, uh, but there's so much competition in the space, and I think there's very little pricing power by all of these names. So um, you look at a Clorox, though, I think somewhere around $120. This is a very interesting stock again. And I think what happens is there is a price to be paid for these stocks. And when they get oversold, you have to know where you want to come in and buy them. That's a good level on this name. It's hard to hide out anywhere. But for example, look at Procter & Gamble. And I'm not picking a fight with Nelson Peltz by any stretch. But when he announced his Wait, Procter & Gamble. Let me get him on the phone. Go ahead. Call. You talk. Go He's ahead. probably playing hockey. or one of his, At any rate, when he talked about the Procter & Gamble stake, the stock was either side of 90 bucks, might have been $91. Take a look where it is now. And by the way, it never got much higher than 93. However, if you think Mr. Peltz is going to start to get vocal again and vociferous in his Procter & Gamble stake and his views, then at 78 bucks, Procter & Gamble might make sense. Danny, where you hide? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you just talked about valuation and, and yeah. as rates are going up. Think about, we talked about this with utilities. We talked about with staples. These things, low growth names, obviously pretty decent yields. We're trading 22, 23 times, that sort of thing, at really high historical valuation. So to me, you know, if there's going to be a greater emphasis on picking stocks and sectors, um, I think relative value is going to become real important. So to me, um, some of these may look good now because they've had 10, 15 percent drops, but I think it's really important important to remember that you know trading above a market multiple is trading above market multiple and if people are going to get more focused on value especially with a vix at 22 and and i you know i know the vix isn't going to stay here forever but the vix isn't going to be spending a lot of time stuck at 10 for the next six months and you have to value equities differently and i've been saying this for a long time i i really don't think people understand that it's about risk and it's about standard deviations that's how you value stocks and I think, especially with Staples names, which are supposed to be defensive and conservative, yeah, but they're even right, worse. So what's our value, guys? You're, the, you're the value yes. investor on this desk. Well, to what's me, the volatility changing between 22 and 10, that's an enormous move. I think we get halfway back there. But, I mean, for me, if you, if you don't sell it, you're basically buying it back. At the end of the day, you're buying everything you own, which I did. You know, today's going to be an awful day for me, with the one exception, Golar MLP up 6%, overdone to the downside. I like what I own. I like Google. Got just absolutely obliterated today. I like the banks. I'm sticking with them. Uh, you know, I'm okay with a little bit of volatility. All right. Well, one trader just cashed in on a group of safety stocks. What'd you see today? Yeah, so it was in the XLU we were just talking about on valuation. Yeah, there we go, buddy. Right yeah, for real. Tune in again tomorrow, 5.30. Um, so here's the thing. XLU is down 15% from the all-time highs it made in November. It's down 7% on the year. Put activity was four times that of calls today. And it looked to be a trader moving out of selling to close some of the March 49 puts. That one, the stock was trading around 49 bucks. There's about 28,000 that were sold for about 90 cents. And what's really interesting when you look at this thing, if you're looking for valuation support, you got a lot more now than you did a couple months ago. And we also have, look at that five-year chart. If you back it out to 10 years, it's still on that same uptrend. So this trader may be viewing the fact that a, they own these puts against the XLU. Maybe they're looking for a bounce off of that uptrend. So to me, that looks like a pretty decent level if you are looking to hide out and buy something that's been hit pretty hard. All right. Well, for more options action, don't forget, check out the full show. As we've said multiple times already tonight, well, 5.30 p.m. tomorrow. Don't miss it. Still ahead tonight right here. It's the new buzzword in Bitcoin that everyone in crypto is talking about. And it could have big implications for the space. We'll give you the details coming up. Plus, one stock soaring more than 10% today amid all of the market turmoil. And Guy Adami says 
It's about to break out even higher. He's going to give us the name when he delivers his fast pitch. More fast money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. I have breaking news tonight from Alcoa. Let's go right back to Kate Rogers in our newsroom for more. Kate. Hi there, Scott. This is, of course, in response to the tariffs today from the White House. An Alcoa spokesperson telling CNBC, quote, we appreciate the attention the administration has placed on the aluminum industry. We believe vital trading partners, including Canada, should be exempt from any tariff on aluminum. The aluminum industry has an integrated supply chain and action should not penalize those that abide by the rules. We will continue to work on solutions that create a level playing field and address Chinese overcapacity. So once again, Alcoa pushing back on those tariffs like many other companies we've seen today. Scott, back over right, to you. Okay, thanks for the latest there. Kate Rogers back at our headquarters. Timmy? Well, aluminum and steel are also very different. And if you want to talk about where there are issues with China, I do think aluminum is one of these places, alumina, uh, the different components. But, um, you know, ultimately, I think Alcoa, the, the funny thing about Alcoa is something happened when they split up the company and the one that seemed to be of less value became much more valuable. I mean, uh, Alcoa is up 110 percent in the last two years during the time they spun off their specialty metals division, which is doing very, very well. But listen to what these U.S. companies are saying about today's announcement. Not very happy and ultimately have to protect their trading partners who are very instrumental to their business. All right. Now to Bitcoin soaring today despite a move from the SEC that could create trouble for the space down the road. Reports surfacing this week that regulators have issued subpoenas for a number of initial coin offerings looking into potential fraudulent activities. The investigation underscoring fears of a broader crackdown in that space. Now ICOs were the hot new jam in crypto last year, but there's a new buzzword making the rounds in the Bitcoin universe, airdrops. Ooh. So what exactly is that? For more, we need to bring in our Bitcoin baller, Brian Christopher Kelly, mm -hmm. otherwise known as BK. Three names because he has a pocket square. BK. Yeah. Works for Carter tonight. Braxton Work. Thanks, thanks for having me, Scott. I watch you guys every day. It's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> let me talk to you about what the new word is. You know what it is? It's airdrop. What the heck is an airdrop? Well, we're going to talk about airdrop versus an ICO. Basically, an airdrop is like getting a free sample in the mail. So you own a certain token. All of a sudden, one day you wake up because of owning it, you get another token. So it's an add-on token. Why is it different from an ICO? In an ICO, you're getting an entirely new token and you're buying that token. So here in the airdrop, we get it for free. In the ICO, you got to pay for it. The airdrop is very similar to a dividend. So you already own a stock, you're getting a little bit more. You're getting U.S. dollars, you're getting cash. You already own a currency in this case, you get another currency, it's like a dividend. ICO is much more like, it actually is, you're making an investment. So you're putting up money, it's a new position for you, that's what an ICO is. So let's just take a look at how this works. There's one coming up, and this is the next big one. That's gonna, this is happening March 5th. Ethereum Classic, symbols ETC and Callisto. That's the airdrop. So if you own ETC on March 5th, and it'll happen at some time on March 5th, it's based on when the blocks update, but for every ETC you own, you're gonna get one CLO, which is Callisto, and Callisto's a new blockchain. They're gonna do some testing on it and try to upgrade Ethereum Classic with it, but it could have value. If it gets on exchange, it could have value, and that's why people like it. So let's look at what's happening here with Ethereum Classic price. You can see it's been in a bit of an uptrend here, right? And we've seen that. This is everybody buying into Ethereum Classic to get the Calixto airdrop. So here you are. You own Ethereum Classic. You own 10 of those. You're going to get 10 CLL on March 5th, and that is the new hot thing called an airdrop.
Anybody have a question for BCK? Sure, sure Beek. So, so let's think about this. When you're an equity investor and you get a dividend, some people like to invest it. They put it right back in the stock. What do you do with these airdrops? Are you going to put it back in the cash, back into the original? Do you hold on to them? Is there some sort of uh, unique value to this airdrop and that you want to hold on to it? Right. So, so there is actually a value, and it's another coin. It, you know, it's, it's almost get it like getting a stock dividend or a spinoff in another company type of thing. So, you know, you might own IBM and they spin something off as a special dividend. You get that. So it's not like you get U.S. dollars you can reinvest back in. And some of these airdrops, the better ones, the ones that are real projects, actually do have value and begin trading on exchanges. You didn't like the BCK thing? I like the BCK thing. No, it's very, very smart of you. You like it? Just like my suit. <laughs> yeah, the Is that a suit? Square. Do they make yeah, that for right. men? It's a onesie. <laughs> Kidding. All right, BK. BCK. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Thanks, Scott. You want options action tomorrow night? Are you? No. All right. Thanks. Goodbye to the guests, and you brought him back. Well, because he's right there. Oh, oh right. I am? I was going to promo the show again. <laughs> Still ahead, the billionaire battle between Ackman and Icon over Herbalife. It's over. Icon taking a victory lap on the halftime report earlier today after Ackman told me he threw in the towel on his losing bet. True to form, he had some very colorful comments, did Carl. Plus, Guy stepping up to the plate, getting ready to pitch one stock he's calling a home run for investors. And get this, it was up more than 10% today. He'll give us the name right after this pitch. Go back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in September, Guy stepped up to the plate to pitch Thermo Fisher Scientific. Take a listen. If you believe in the science behind the CAR-T immunotherapy therapies, then guess what? You have to almost by definition like TMO. Why? They make all the instruments that support it. Great call, Guy. Oh, stop. I mean, they're so <laughs> insincere, but go ahead. Well, since that call, TMO has rallied 8%. Uh -huh. Whopping 8%. Oh, listen, what wow. first of wise guy. Wow. I think the well, I was kidding. Up, like, no, I said some sarcasm. I think it was trained about 190 or so. You look at it in the <laughs> earnings, which was for a year. about a month ago, the reported earnings, this was a $225 stock. That was a significant move, Scott. Even I can do that math. Obviously, the sell-off in the stock has been commensurate with the rest of the market. But all the reasons I liked it then still exist now, including valuation. So despite this market sell-off and the markets that we find ourselves now in turmoil, I think TMO is still a decent play. All right, Guy. Well said. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. You, you got it. <laughs> Since Thermo Fisher was such a home run for you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something, just stop. So you can stop right now. I mean, such a home run for you, guy. Yeah. What will you pitch us now? Thanks said. for asking me, Scott. I appreciate it. Well, and my guy. power pitch for you now is the fall, or the fast pitch we now call it, is the following. Now, you're going to say to me, guy, this stock had a tremendous move today. And I'm going to say, you're right, Scott. But my pitch is roll it, slide it, Earl, Cleveland Cliffs. And why is that? Well, with the president's comments today, you have a significant tailwind for the steel, not only Cleveland Cliffs, but the entire sector. By the way, you've had tailwinds for a while now. Competitive valuation. Listen, you're not necessarily buying these companies on valuation. It sometimes be, is a fool's folly. I mean, you could have gotten obliterated in names like U.S. Steel if you bought it on valuation a year and a half ago. But at this level, it's too compelling to ignore. And there is a high short interest. What does that mean? 
I don't think President Trump is going to back down from this tariff thing for quite some time, which means the shorts in this sector are going to be forced to cover. The stock closed today at $7.75. I think Credit Suisse just put a $9 price target. If it gets there, that's a 14% move. I think it can go higher than that. Okay. Hey, hey guy, I'd like to, guy. Yeah, I'd like to ask you a question. After ask that, away there, Tim. After that tremendous uh, bullish pick <laughs> we just talked about, um, I agree with the Cliff story actually quite a run. bit. And, I, and I, I think ultimately for me it's a lot about China taking dirty supply off, adding to demand in their underlying steel pellets market. Is that a driver for you here? You would think it would be a huge driver. And I think you're going to start to see analysts, they're going to almost by definition need to raise their price targets in the entire space. Now, U.S. Steel, for example, has had a ridiculous move. I think it closed at 47 today. You power pitched that thing, I think, when it was a teenager. My man, that was but a home run. Cleveland Cliffs, by the way, has not seen a move of that magnitude. I think now the entire sector is going to get dragged up. And I pick Cleveland Cliffs because it has a short interest that's going to force these guys and gals to cover. And there's your chart, by the way. It's a beautiful chart. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying, guys? Cleveland Cliffs pitch. Tim, you're oh, up first. Oh, am I first? I'm up first. Okay. Um, absolutely. And if you'll notice, that's a, it's a baseball and a home run with Cliffs in the center. I'm actually long the name. Love the pick. Do think they're rallying back. It's been a volatile stock, not for the weak stomach amongst you. Karen. Yes. Also a buy. What I like about it is a little different. It's not so much the tariff trade, which is obviously in there today. Global growth story. I like it. Dan? Yeah, so um, I would buy it, too. I'm not long it like these guys, but I would just say this, is that when you think about, um, I would use a $7 stock, and that's back to where the stock started today. Um, you know, last year, they had sales up 10%, and they had earnings up 135%, that sort of thing. Right now, analysts are only expecting a 1% sales increase and a 20% EPS decrease uh, year over year. So to Guy's valuation story, if you have greater sales, this company, given the leverage that it has, you could see, um, you could see easily an earnings upgrade on this thing. So to me, it probably is pretty cheap. Wow. Stock's up 3% after hours. Oh. On, on the Adami push. <laughs> fade it. Of course. Did, what, Scott? <laughs> what? Come on. I wouldn't fade you, man. You just said it. Always <laughs> go with your first instincts, folks. Just so you know at home. Right. For you playing our home game. All right. Come on back That's over. That's hot. That's hot. We did say buys all the way around. Stock's up more than 4% now. But did guys pitch for CLF make you at home want to buy the stock? Vote in our Twitter poll, CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results right after this break. Plus, American outdoor sales tanking in the post market. The company saying gun sales fell more than 30% year over year. We'll have much more on that story. You're watching Fast Money live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back. We have a news alert this evening on Blackstone. Back to Kate Rogers with more details. Kate. Hi, Scott. This is about Steve Schwarzman, the co-founder of the Blackstone Group. He had one of his biggest take-home paychecks ever last year. He made close to $787 million. Now, this is according to numbers we've crunched from the firm's annual report filed today. To break this down, $661 million of this was paid out in dividends from his partnership units. This, of course, fueled a lot of the payout, while $125.5 million was in total compensation, bringing us to $786.5 million total take-home from Blackstone for 2017 for Schwartzman. Now that sounds like a lot of money, but in 2015, he pulled in a total of $811 million or so per Reuters. Now for the year, the stock is up 11%, but for last year, they were up about 24%. Back over to you. Wow. Kate, thank you very much. Uh, can't trade that one. 
to I mean, be the king. No, I, I, to be the king. I was thinking the exact same thing. Well, I think, it, and it's funny because uh, as as we often talk about stocks amongst us, guy was talking about Blackstone earlier in the day as potentially even a final pick. Talking um, about a power maybe pitch. Maybe a power yes. pitch. But ultimately, but the story on Blackstone is this is an environment where these guys are seeing a lot of exits on private equity. Uh, their, their, their core business in terms of AUM has some issues in terms of compression on fees. But these guys are in the right places at the right time. It's still a great environment for them. All right, let's switch gears. Uh, we have an earnings alert on American outdoor brands, formerly Smith & Wesson. Let's go to Brian Sullivan back in the newsroom for those details. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. Yeah, we're, listen, we're talking about American outdoor brands. Not a very big company, obviously, because the gun debate, the gun discussion has been very much in focus as well. American outdoor brands, forget about earnings per share. They're a penny better, but what you want to focus on in sales because they came in well short of expectations. 172 and change was the estimate. That's on a million-dollar basis. They came in at $157 million. Worst, their guidance was for sales around $600 million this year. Put that in context. They did $900-plus million in sales just two years ago. So sales down more than 30%. Their guidance was not what Wall Street expected. That stock, last time I checked, was down sizably after hours. Now, what everybody was wondering on the call, and it is still going on, by the way, was how much some of these big box stores like Dick's and others coming out and saying they are not going to sell AR-15 style rifles is going to impact sales. Well, that was asked directly, and the CEO of American Outdoor Brands, A.K. Smith & Wesson, said not much because it's tiny. Listen to this. The statement made by Dix that they will not be selling modern sporting rifles um, immediately. So we've looked at what percentage of our sales overall for the company were as a result of MSR sales to Dix. And it's extremely small. It's actually one-tenth of one percentage point of our total sales. So there isn't really any impact. And, of course, anything like this is obviously built into our guidance going forward. And, Scott, they did talk about how the so-called MSRs, well, that's a modern sporting rifle. That's, that's the trade parlance for guns like the AR-15-style weapons are about 10 to 12 percent of overall revenues. But Dick's not likely to make an impact. Still, the gun debate unlikely to go anywhere, guys, as many more retailers have taken action. Could be a tough day for AOBC shares certainly tomorrow, as it has been, Scott, for the last couple of years. It was a 30-some dollar stock two years ago. All right, Brian. Thanks so much, Thanks. Brian Sullivan, back at headquarters. Going to trade this, Tim? Yeah, well, I think that's the story. I mean, you know, is the, the whole gun conversation is so intense right now, but this is a company that's been in decline. This is a $500 million market cap, too, and with a 20% short interest. So uh, the story on their profitability, the story on the outlet for, for demand is, is part of it. Um, I think the, you know, the, the recent news flow obviously is challenging for these guys, and you line up however you want to on this, but the bottom line is this is a company that's been in decline for a long time. I like Dix. I mean, when you think about what they just announced, that they're going to actually not allow people to buy guns, you know what I mean, below the age of 21, um, I don't think they're alienating a huge customer base. When you look at the data, when you look at the polls about how Americans feel about this age situation, it's not the sort of thing that I think is as divisive as it is um, with this concentration of NRA people. <laughs> so for all intents and purposes, um, I think this is a pretty neutral to positive thing for Dix, especially when we're talking, we spent a lot of this week talking about socially conscious investing, that sort of thing. I think the Walmart story, too, no? Yeah, great. Like Remember it. CBS right. covered of cigarettes? Nice to hear you. Similar. Yeah. Nice to get your view on that. Yeah. All right. Up next, are you buying guys' pits for Cleveland Cliffs? Someone out there is. The stock's up more than 5%. Boom! Jeez. Wow. All right. There's still time to vote, too. Go to Twitter now. <laughs> the results right after this. Yikes.
enjoy a good fight, especially when I, when I win it. And uh, I, I think the, 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 the Herbalife management did an incredible job through this. It was a major distraction for Herbalife. I, I think Herbalife is a great company. It makes great products. All right, that was, of course, the billionaire investor Carl Icahn earlier today on the Halftime Report talking about his winning Herbalife trade. This after rival Bill Ackman threw in the towel on his short yesterday. Uh, what do you make of this whole thing? I, I still can't believe, A, that it's over, and B, that it lasted as long as it did. I can't believe it lasted as long as it did, and I can't believe it ended up with the stock north of 90, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I thought there were some very compelling arguments there that Ackman made, but clearly at the end of the day he wasn't right. I mean, there's still a fairly a big amount of short interest because I think that wouldn't be reflected because Ackman was in more puts than short stocks. So that wouldn't show up. So there's still, I guess, potential buyers there. I wouldn't touch the stock here, though. It was fascinating to watch, as you well know. Well, uh, Carl did say today that he hasn't sold a single share, and that was something he had said for the, uh, almost throughout this whole thing. Uh, so he's still holding it. Uh, interesting. All right. if, if only there was a book that was written about this whole thing. <laughs> Can you imagine? Funny you say that. The story, yes, man. wherever when books Wolf are sold. Like. All right. That does it for... What are we doing? Oh, no, no. Does guys, anyone know what Carl's favorite song is? It home, happens Scott. to be Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, which is a huge oh, coincidence yeah. because it's the song we play when a trader loses a pitch, which is what just happened to Guy Adami with his pitch on Cleveland Cliffs. I mean, that's... It's a silver lining. I'm Scott Wadrick. Catch Fast Money again, 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. Crazy right now. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.